0: Off the ball. He's a very, very dangerous player in Scottish football. He's he's probably too good for Scottish football, if you know what I mean. Subscribe now to the OTB Football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball.
1: I'll run you through the back pages first of all. Sunday mirror, uh, Reese Nelson. What a moment in your life! Oh my god, <laughs> the adrenaline! So, uh, picture of him being mobbed, 97th minute, Arsenal three, Bournemouth two. One of those potentially decisive moments in the Premier League title race. And then we have Ten Hag who has interesting comments ahead of Liverpool game today. Uh, for instance, the mirror choose to go with his points on Ronaldo. I didn't lose sleep over getting rid of him. Basically, he was uh, fairly decisive. He had to go and I had no regrets, says Ten Hag. Sunday World go with Van Dyke. We can do it. This is uh, talking about making the top four. So uh, Virgil van Dyke thinks uh, Liverpool can still uh, go all the way to top four, admittedly. But that's where they are at the moment. Sunday independent. Brilliant picture of Zinchenko. Uh, you would have if you saw the game yesterday all the Arsenal players ran away in different directions when the goal went in so Zinchenko's off celebrating on his own and <laughs> the bench are running onto the pitch and then behind him I think uh, Saliba's running to the crowd so just an amazing moment yesterday at the Emirates and beneath that Duffy struggling for place in Kenny's squad this is Shane Duffy who went on loan to Fulham at the start of the season and it looked like a very good move for him and the week after he signed Issa Diop Signed from West Ham for £13 million and he's made four league appearances across the season. So Stephen Kenny talking to the media this week is admitting it could be uh, tough for Duffy to make the squad at the moment. The Sun go crazy. Wild scenes as Reese hits 97th minute uh, winner. And they also have that Eric Ten Hag get Ron KO good snooze again. Not losing sleep over. Binning Ronaldo, we have the back page of the Mail on Sunday. Again, it's Inchenko uh, screaming Gunners show their grit with dramatic fight back. And United star Luke Shaw praises Liverpool ahead of vital showdown. On oh, the bottom, pay, uh, bottom of uh, the Mail on Sunday back page, Mark Gallagher has a piece inside on this story. Hearn hoping to tie up May homecoming for Taylor by next week. Katie Taylor, you might have seen on her Instagram last Thursday, not in keeping with her general uh, behaviour in social media, but she uh, called out Eddie Hearn to get it done. Chantelle Cameron is the potential opponent. Katie Taylor said she's happy to move up a weight to become a two-weight undisputed champion. And May 20th at the Three Arena looks most likely. Uh, so Eddie Hearn uh, apparently likely to get this officially done next week. Both is very keen is the word. And then Sunday Times Sport... Uh, this time it's Reese being mobbed by teammates. Arsenal three, Bournemouth two. And then beneath that, Eric Hag. Manchester United were a mess when I came, but not now. If I do say so myself, says uh, <laughs> Eric Tenhaig. For to say, we have Cliona Foley, broadcaster, journalist here in studio, as is Roy Curtis of The Sunday World. You're both very welcome. Yep. The other story on the front page of The Sunday Times, I know Kleena will Uh, Sink your heart. FIFA tells Premier League to embrace (laughs) 100-minute matches.
2: I thought of you straight away when I saw it. Uh,
1: Football already too long. And so (laughs) FIFA have said that they're going to get onto the Premier League and say we want to see the same extra time allowed for as as was the case at the World Cup. So goal celebrations, injuries, time-wasting, substitutes. The directive means, writes Martin Ziegler, that 100-minute matches often seen at the World Cup will become more common uh, common, in fact, in the English leagues next season. So that's and the way it's
2: usually, going as usual, Infantino is talking nonsense because what he's saying is that, uh, you know, oh, we, we, we have to have 60 minutes average, but the one thing they won't bring in is a stoppage clock. And like that would actually create more time, actually, more real time. You know, the notion that you stop the celebrations. Celebration is still going to happen, in my opinion. So I don't think it's going to make any difference. We've had this before, Joe, you it's and I. As long as a celebration, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Forty seconds. Put a clock on the celebration. B.A.R. obsessions. <laughs> <Partic up> <laughs>
1: yeah. These are the important issues. So, front page there. 100-minute Premier League matches. Uh, a whole bunch to get through. Roy, you, like several others in the papers today, are looking at Casemiro and thinking, wow,
0: wow, wow. If you look at the genesis for United's renaissance, you can identify certain aspects. I think, obviously, Ten Hag coming in, facing down Ronaldo was a huge moment. Um, but I think... United are playing without fear or anxiety. And I think a key part of that is that they know now they have a midfielder who brings authority, leadership, security, set standards. He's in the Jonathan Norcroft's piece in the Sunday Times this morning. um, A United source describes him as United's most important signing since Cantona, uh, Casemiro. I would argue, I would make more of a comparison with Roy Keane um, because I think He has stepped a less angst-ridden Roy Keane. He has has stepped into that role. If you look at United's failings in recent times, their central midfield was continually lampooned for having an absence of authority, for being a shadow of what it once was. And when they signed Casemiro, I think we were all looking at 70 million for a guy in his 30s. Mm. Um, I'd watched him a lot, but even with his back catalogue of five Champions Leagues, I had no idea how good he was, how rounded a player he was. You knew about the defensive security, putting his foot in, but he can really play. He's a wonderful passer of a ball. He scores key goals. Um, and I think what's really interesting in uh, in Jonathan Northcroft's piece is it talks about Casemiro, the person, mm. and his, his humility, um, his work ethic, and those things really are transferring through. I think if you look at a guy like Rashford and his confidence reborn, having a guy around like that Jonathan makes the point about how, in contrast to Ronaldo, he goes out of his way to talk to the younger players, to be a father figure to them. And I think if you're a young guy in there and you see this guy with the pedigree and the trophies he has doing what he does, um, I, I, I love, there's a line actually from Rafa Benitez about when he played for Real Madrid while he was there and he said, he's a clever, clever player. He stayed back and was a mirror for the players who like to go forward. He's easy to manage. You just have to put him on the pitch and trust him. He's correct. Um, and I think those understated values are very important in a club. I think Keane was arguably the most important player in Premier League history because he set a standard at United. He didn't allow stuff to drop. That ultimately brought about his own downfall, a sort of Shakespearean tragedy type thing in the end. But for United's dominant years, it's those glue players. And Casemiro, just as Liverpool's midfield is falling apart, you have this guy who's making them better every time they play, who you say, you can see that team really going places with him as a leader, him as a conduit for the manager for the next three or four years. It's full of great detail
1: that I didn't know about at all. And
0: akin to your point, Roy,
1: uh, Jonathan Norcroft does say that lots of Manchester United fans uh, beaten down by the last decade, looked at his arrival and thought, oh, here we go. Another Bastian Schweinsteiger, another Alexis Sanchez, another example of United signing yesterday's stars. And it's been anything but so there's a video and uh, somebody sent it to me actually having read this Northcroft piece oh, yeah. of the Carabao Cup where it just showed to a degree that players are sheep. But the players are walking down the steps after picking up the trophy. Mm-hmm. And there's a what looks like a disabled fan uh, by the stairs and putting out the hand. And the players, in fairness, before Casemiro, they do give a high five. They give something. But Casemiro comes down the stairs and gives him a big hug.
0: And all the players following Casemiro Fantastic. in turn,
2: yeah, Hook, give a big yeah. hug. There's <laughs> yeah. a real
0: authenticity about him. I mean, there, there's a line in this which just blew me away. Mm. There is remarkable footage of Casemiro being interviewed by Real Madrid's club channel. He's handled a bottle of Yakult, the yogurt drink, mm. and laughs, but then is overwhelmed by emotion and tears. He explains he craved it as a child and a woman with a Yakult cart passed through his street every day. But his mother always ushered him inside because she did not have the few cents needed to buy a bottle. Yeah. I just thought that was a really beautiful, beautiful image. Very uh, poor background.
2: Yeah, and really interesting. Uh, it, it doesn't clarify, but it, it it looks as if he was raised solely by his mother. Certainly spent time and slept with his grandmothers and aunts because there wasn't room at home. And um, just it's a really I, I love a good feature that talks to lots of people and has lots of background and stuff that you haven't heard before. And. And while, you know, the details really bring you bring it home but also there's other stuff in here like how hard he works like that's one of the things is how hard he works and how much he I I thought that that there's a great line from um, from Cruz and Modric when they sent a letter when he left Real that's just a brilliant line and they said they sent him an open letter thanking quote unquote the best bodyguard in the world Cruz joked with with you even the Turkish bath was a gym and you only allow people to lie down when it's time to do sit-ups so um, he seems to have incredible charisma incredible empathy gets on with everybody. It isn't afraid to have a hard word, but well able to do it. Um, as you said, brilliant footballer. I, I was reading a piece yesterday with Brian Robson, who said exactly what you were saying. That thing of as well as oh, I thought this guy's too old. You know, he he won't be he won't be up for it. But this is a really good piece because it does all of that. And what's really interesting in it as well, of course, in terms of the business of sport is how. um how much Man United are being popularized in Brazil to the point where um, Man United have recently opened uh, the Portuguese language social media feed. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's, just, yeah. it's funny how you get a player who's just so magnificent and so pivotal Everything starts to work, and it works in, at every level in every club. But it's a really, really good. Jonathan s- Norcroft's very so, good writer.
0: You see some of these iconic figures in sport. Um, it says here, Casemiro has an extensive gym and works with his own fitness team. LeBron James famously spends over a million dollars a year. Now, I suppose it's relatively easy to do when you're earning 50 million, mm. but yeah. spends over a million dollars a year just keeping his body outside of L.A. Lake or stuff. He's, in, uh,
1: he's a million a
0: year is like you and me joining the gym. Yeah, well, there's more <laughs> chance of him spending a million a year than me joining the gym anytime soon, Jill.
1: Um It does mention, and people would have noted this at the time when he uh, was unveiled and he jogged over specifically to Roy Keane, who was mm. working for Sky, mm. and made a real mm. beeline for him. And I thought, Casemiro Roy Keane? That's, how does he how does he know him? And Northcroft's piece, again, I totally agree on the the background info. In some ways, it's better than interviewing Casemiro. because it is. You get the you real got old, uh, You've 3D. got so many
2: people's views in this Yeah, piece. so they yeah. say when...
1: Uh, the media staff tried to brief him before his unveiling. They discovered that Casemiro had better answers than they were ready to suggest for him. That he had an in-depth knowledge of United's history. He was already talking about Cantonist skulls and Keane. Uh, he does his homework Uh, and to an extent this is
2: equally interesting Joe what they're saying they're saying also the coaching apart from the media staff the coaching staff are amazed because Mm. when they go to sit down and talk about opposition he comes with the loads of stuff that he's done and he's got all he's done all the homework
1: Well on that point at home he watches football continually at least a game a day he uses Scout to do his own analysis he once used the platform to spot a pattern in Mbappe's play which he exploited in a Champions League game which is just uh, amazing My wife gets annoyed but it's my work my (laughs) life is football he says and uh, it quotes Ancelotti asked which Real Madrid player most likely to become a manager. He said Casemiro. Uh, in the dressing room, he hangs out with Fernandez, Martinez, Varane, Anthony and Lindelof because that's the Spanish Portuguese speaking corner. But as you said, Roy, uh, he's known to uh, speak to all the younger players as well. He's working very hard on his English mm-hmm. and uh, the point about his work rate, because I look again, I, I, the Schweinsteiger point is mm. was he was yeah. who I thought was arriving. Yeah, I thought he looked full in the face. Yeah, very much so. I thought, oh, here we go. 31. Yeah, he's going to trot around for a few years, but uh, it's obviously the, just his physical appearance, yeah, the, wor- the work rate, because um, story about Casemiro's dedication. He had just won the Copa America with Brazil in 2019 yeah. on holiday with his family in Sao Paulo. <laughs> They get their bags packed for a trip to Orlando. He sat down to watch Real play a friendly against Atletico Madrid in New Jersey. Real lost 7-3. Casemiro quietly separated his luggage from his family's, booked a plane to Madrid so he could begin his preseason early. I mean, the most amazing thing about this piece is he's
0: still married, but that does seem <laughs> to be <laughs> <his laughs>
2: uh, yeah, how, how,
0: how extraordinary must it be for Ten Hag to have somebody like yeah. that come into the dressing room? I mean, essentially, Ronaldo goes out and this guy comes in and they're absolute different personalities. One, a selfless guy who seems to be re- really have bought into the whole United thing. And he's having the time of his life. Perhaps he's done everything at Real Madrid. And this is maybe a chance for him to show, you know, independent of that Madrid machine, this is the player that I am. This is the person that I am. Um, he's a guy, you listen to all the stuff about him. as a guy you'd actually love to meet and sit down with. You know, he mm-hmm. just seems to have one of those and infectious personalities,
2: and it's 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 it'll it'll crop up again in other stuff that we're looking at today. But also, he quotes um, Jonathan Orcroft says Brazilian journalists have spent time with him in England, say they've never seen him so happy. Mm. And this thing of happiness, oh, yeah. being happy in your job, creating mm. happiness around you—all that's important. I think that I think it's been said before. I remember reading about it before as well. You know that Neymar, he was compared to Neymar so much, and um, um, but now you know he they they were very and the media in the they they kind of mistook him and he had this unwanted nickname of casamara Mara, means arrogant in Portuguese. It's but aloof. that, it, yeah, that he just, he, you know, but he, he didn't he wasn't as open in his personality and obviously Neymar was the showman. Yeah. But it's interesting how at this age of his life he is working so hard and just making everything to take around to, it to just shows point,
1: him to the point in Brazilian media, says Jonathan, there's now a debate Actually, maybe Neymar yeah. is the best yeah. Generation. Yeah. generation. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I dare say if his English continues to improve and Harry
0: Maguire's inevitable end comes Captain Casemiro, pretty much. Yeah. Well, he has that emotional depth and he's on the field. He's just a natural leader. Mm. Yeah, it was an amazing
1: week for him. So Carabao Cup and then half time to save the day <laughs> at Old Trafford. So that's Kiss Casemiro. Roy's writing about him. John Norcross piece here full of interesting detail. Uh, Just a very quick mention, we don't have to dwell on this, but uh, Martin Samuel does point out this situation which is brewing. It's on the next page in the Sunday Times, page 8. Just uh, this Saudi Newcastle situation. In short, I appreciate people are increasingly finding this all a bit tiresome, but there is the Live Golf versus PGA Tour situation in courtrooms on different continents. But in the States, Yasser al-Rumayan and the Saudi PIF Uh, As part of that Live Golf versus the PGA Tour situation, they have said to the judge there, well, hang on, we're part of the Saudi government. We can't be dragged into a court to be interviewed. (laughs) I mean, we're we're we don't give evidence in a conventional way. We are Saudi Arabia, so we're not going into your courtroom. Whereas, meanwhile, the exact same people, Ramayan and the PDF, PIF, uh, have said to the Premier League and they've given legally binding, binding assurances. We are absolutely not. We are nothing to, to the state. The government. Yeah. nothing to do with the government. Do with us. <laughs> so one it's of those, both of those it's things. It's getting can't be very. True.
2: I saw it, it start, that conversation started on social media during the week and it's, it's really going to grow now, and there's a big piece by El-Samari in the Mail on Sunday as well. He said Premier League have been taken for fools, but what kind of mugs do they think the rest of us are?
0: But it, it just highlights the inherent hypocrisy. I mean, the Premier League long ago became a cold house for decency. You know, it's a, it's a moral wasteland, and I think if you're looking for anything. That's guided by morals rather than money. You're wasting your time. Unfortunately, I mean, we can we can rail against it, but it's just so far advanced. The whole the Premier League is the, the world's biggest sports watching vehicle, and that's essentially where it's at. Yeah,
1: there is a, a thread running through a whole host of pieces, which you both spotted and, and I thought we'd tease out. So we have Brian O'Driscoll being interviewed in the Sunday Independent by Brendan Fanning, and he's talking about how the current. Irish side are enjoying life so much under Andy Farrell. There is David Walsh in the back page of the Sunday Times. Again, he's talking about Farrell's Ireland. He's talking about Brendan McCullum's England cricket team and Scotty Scheffler. And again, in different ways, Farrell's Ireland, the English cricket team, Scotty Scheffler, uh, they have sport and perspective and they're trying to enjoy it. For instance, he has a quote from Brendan McCullum, who uh, says you have one crack at life. Why would you not want to enjoy it? You choose a job that you want to try and do, and it's meant to be fun along the way. There is also uh, Mark Gallagher, who interviews Martin Carney mm. in yeah. the mail, and the headline there is Mayo footballers are enjoying their football it's under McStay. So, enjoyment is uh, the buzzword of 2023.
0: I, I'll always recall Ronan O'Gara being in a Virgin Media studio with you um, last year or the year before. Um, the day he addressed his own frailties, his own anxieties in his early career, that he simply wasn't good enough And I was blown away by the level of introspection, the emotional intelligence, the curiosity, the passion. Most of all, this willingness to open up a window to his own failings, his own anxieties. And I thought, God, if I was a player, I'd love to play for that guy. Just a guy who's so human, who understands, who gets it, who understands the emotional state. And when people talk about Andy Farrell now, human keeps coming up, his humanity, his essential decency his willingness to allow players be adults. I think so much of sport in recent years became very, very po-faced. There was a culture of coaching egos, sometimes overwhelming dressing rooms.
2: still there, I think. Uh, it, oh, it very
0: much is still there. But if you look, Joe Smith was clearly an exceptional, world-beating coach. Um, he achieved so much, both with Leinster and with Ireland. Um, but the flip side was the micromanagement, the granular attention to detail, those famed Monday or Tuesday morning review sessions where people were pretty much terrified even after winning a game. And I think that wears people down after a while. I remember in a a previous life working for an editor who was a great fan of creative tension, this notion of people being on edge all of the time It was, I think, an American original concept that people would be more creative if they were pushed to the brink. And I recall personally absolutely loathing it to the point where I wasn't sleeping at night. There was no capacity to be creative because you were terrified. Um, And then to the point that I moved on, I was just so liberated then when you were working for people who just let you be and sort of wanted you to have fun along the way. Mm. And with Andy Farrell, with the cricketers, those Scotty Scheffler quotes, which are really, really good, the Mayo footballers l- last week and scoring those four goals looked like people who were free to just express themselves. And I think we've all this suspicion that you can't have fun and be effective. David Walsh finishes his piece with, when referring to the the three kinds, co- the three people, he says, out of that fun came performance, and I think that's. I would hope that's sort of a benchmark for where, where sport can go. I've been agnostic about the Irish rugby team going to a World Cup and being successful for a long time simply because the back catalogue and what it tells you. But you look at Farrell's team, and they're losing key player after key player and the performances aren't dipping. Yeah, And I think his leadership and that that sense of empowering players rather than emasculating them is key to that. I don't know if you
1: read Andy McNulty's interview in the Irish Times yesterday... With Dennis Walsh, Mm. it was just instructive because Joe Schmidt is such an intelligent man and a brilliant man, I suspect, to work with. And it's interesting. So he must have been aware of the environment he was creating. And it's interesting that at one point, Ender maybe feeds that back to him, that there is a degree of stress on the players, for want of a better word. And uh, Schmidt's reply seemed to be, well, that's good because we're trying to create the highest performing environment in the world. Yeah. And maybe, as you say, Roy... That's fine in the short term, and fine over three, four, five years. be start getting into six years, it seems to wear.
2: Yeah, but I, I think it also kind of it can slightly be affected by the point the level of development that your team is at i think that schmidt felt that he had a team that had limited talent and so needed to be used the most efficiently way possible now farrell ended up being part of that management team so he would have seen what was going on there as well but i think that he also is he is benefiting from the depth of talent and the depth of coaching that has evolved so that you have players now who have skills and so you can ask them to be more creative but you can also say to them you can have a pint, lads. Take it easy, and that is a factor. You know, when you have to go back to the Charlton era to see that in Ireland. There is this thing of happiness releasing tension. You know yeah, what I mean? And people totally. being happy in their skins. And you do get that feeling with with Farland. There's lots of pieces about it today, and it all. It David Walsh's one starts with that episode of of, of Full Swing, the one on Netflix. You know, where, where um where uh, Sheffler talks about about his wife and, and uh, she telling him before he went out. And if anybody's seen it, she tells him for you and out. you know, uh, it, it, the Masters, I don't care if you win by if you lose by ten shots. If you win, I still love you. It doesn't matter. And, you know, that that whole freedom of having the crack with her and, and him laughing about it with the with the caddy and all the rest. So that is the theme really of a lot of these pieces. And it is interesting. Um, it, uh, I, I I I don't know what it was with Schmidt because when you met Schmidt as a person mm. you didn't fe- he you didn't feel like he was the kind of person who would make people fearful I think there was it was there was a control thing there definitely yeah. and um and and I think maybe it was a control because he felt the team were at a particular stage in their evolution but Farrell has benefited from a lot of things I think, you know, we shouldn't forget that as well, because he's got this depth of talent now coming through that he can afford probably to to, you know, not to panic and not to not to close down when the injuries come and all the rest. Like yeah, there is I, a level I, of development I definitely there.
1: built on shoulder. Yeah, but there's coach. a
2: piece like that. There's a really inter- interesting piece that kind of echoes this with um with Mike Brown, the former England fullback in The Independent by, by Sam Daling's piece of Telegraph, because it's very interesting. He's talking about sort of, you know, how things went wrong in his career. And he says the same thing about Eddie Jones, that when things went bad, he said he's a brilliant coach in terms of detailing the intensity, but the environment needs to be much more enjoyable. And he said that when things were going wrong for him, the only the kick, only Johnny Wilkinson, who was the kicking coach, offered a comforting shoulder. You know, so they, that theme recurs all the time in this professional sport.
0: With with Andy Farrell and I, I, I don't know him at all. But becoming a father at sixteen.
2: Yeah, I always say that. The, I, yeah, it's funny, is The effect
0: that. that must have yeah, had yeah. in his development as a personality and what he became and his understanding he had to become an adult at sixteen, so he's not going to treat twenty five year olds and thirty year olds as children. Mm. Um and
2: I always think that's an amazing thing about him. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I mean, as I say, I don't know him, but you see a guy for 90 seconds in an interview and you can just say, this guy is a sound guy. This guy gets it. There's nothing affected. There's no attempt to be something he's not. There's no attempt to spin stuff. There's just a real authenticity about the guy. And back to what I was saying about O'Gara, I'd love to be in a dressing room with people like that. You can relate to people like that. You know they're not there for themselves. You know they have your back. They know they want things to be as good as they can be, not just for you as a player, but you as a person. Walsh has a line here where he says, it takes a special kind of fellow to stand up in that team room and say, I think we could could be doing this a lot better than we have. He's talking about when Farrell took over from Smith. That is what Farrell effectively did. He wanted the players to have more fun in Ireland duty and to feel less stressed. At first, the results were disappointing. And though the new head coach continually expressed the belief that the team were going in the right direction, not many were convinced. And I think that's another thing. Two years mm. after everyone has done a vault fast and now mm. believes he's the greatest ever, to have the courage of his conviction to stick with something when he had replaced something that was clearly effective. Yeah. The um, Brian Driscoll interview, just if
1: you're uh, curious, he's, he's reflecting in the main on his uh, career on uh, Farrelly says, really good person as well as a coach, great man manager. I think not many people have met him, have a bad word to say about him. What you see is what you get. He's an interesting line. He says, I always think a really good sign in a yeah. coaching setup is at dinner time, and the chair beside you was free and you're happy when one of the coaches is sitting down beside you, it's a good sign of where the vibe is at in your environment.
2: That's so funny. That's exactly the, the paragraph that I marked out in mm-hmm. the Just piece the question well. It, Mark.
1: Can you <laughs> give us your top ten of coaches? You, <laughs> <laughs> didn't, you didn't like? But we, down you right. know,
2: we've all been there. You've all been yeah. in that situation where the coach or, or a member of a coaching staff sits down beside you and you're going, God, what do we talk about here? But obviously the whole the, that's exactly what he's saying is that there must be that kind of a vibe going on with the island team because that's why he's raising it. Do
1: you think there's um, a generational switch going on, because if you take Irish sport, I think like the great exemplar, obviously, and, and the great inspiration for so many was Roy Keane, and he did not, quote unquote, enjoy easy breezy his sport. Um The other icons around that time, Tiger Woods versus Scotty Scheffler. Tiger Woods did not enjoy his sport, did not smile at the crowd, did not acknowledge the crowd, was very much in himself. Uh, Lance Armstrong, mm-hmm. I'm trying to top of the head stuff here, but around that era, he was cheating, lying and snarling his way towards uh, Tour de France tournaments. I'm sure there are plenty of opposite examples. but um, AP McCoy being another... AP McCoy R- is an interesting yeah. one. Ruby Walsh. Like yeah. the, I think GAA almost fetishizes mm. suffering. Oh, oh. More laps.
2: Worse. No drink. Ask well, them co- to do way conduct. more. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, Ask a, an amateur a, players. A lot
0: of the squads, and having spoken to a lot of players I'd be friendly with, who played 30 years ago um, to a very high level, just said they couldn't get involved now. It's almost like joining a religious cult at times. You have to sign up and, with absolute conviction and absolutely agree to be subservient to a, to a set of rules. And I often wonder, if you want a guy to go out and perform in front of 70,000 people, but you don't trust him to behave like an adult when he leaves a training pitch, I think one is a contradiction of the other. Yeah. And, and, and if there is a generational switch, I say, great.
1: Well, that brings us, interestingly, I I hadn't planned it that way, but seeing as we talk about generational switch, that's a theme in Eamon Sweeney's piece on the back page. Mm. So the the Vera Powell uh, situation, it continues on two fronts. Uh, The first front is that she will obviously be back in the States for these two friendlies. Mm. And there's an assumption that the uh, report into her behaviour in Houston will be raised by the media there. And the second front is that she has started... Taken the advice of a legal professional over in the States who has represented 200 plus coaches. Thomas Newkirk is his name, and he's quoted here in this piece. And he was in The Sunday Times last week, so certainly is talking to the media. And uh, he he is of the opinion that female coaches have been discriminated against. So uh, Eamon Sweeney, like I'd say he has taken probably the approach to this that I have as well in some respects, which is that he says, I'm inclined to believe that Vera Powell has been traduced and slandered in America. You probably are, too, he writes. And he says that she appears to us here in, in, in her dealings with the Irish media at large as a person of the highest integrity. Uh, however, uh, he says if she had not been in this report, which has you know been criticized over here, he says, chances are this report would have been hailed as a major step forward for women's mm. sport. Mm. Those who spoke out would have been praised for their bravery. And most significantly, he says, there would have been a presumption that everyone accused in the report was guilty as charged and deserved to have their reputation tarnished. But we're not doing that because Vera Powell's name is in there.
2: And, and, and she's got us to the World Cup.
1: Yeah. And she has denied it so uh, vociferously. And she really has. And she's you know, taking legal action. I'm not sure the specifics of the legal action, but she is taking legal action. And, and she's you know, fighting this head on. And I mean, she's going to the States. For these two games. Um, but he talks and, and about that generational switch, perhaps, where he says uh, safeguarding players is the right thing to do. But there are times when the line between the managerial culture of elite sport and outright bullying seems to be very thin. Some people love the story about Brian Clough punching a young Roy Keane for making a mistake. Good old Cluffy. <laughs> That's how you get the best out of people. And he talks about a wider cultural change he says the current uh, societal prevalence of a uh, certain emotional hypersensitivity can't be denied. And he th- he concludes uh, by, you know, he, and he goes through the, the charges against her and says, you know, the idea that her presence in the same apartment block as her players constituted a threat to their mental health just uh, seems uh, risible. And he says, you know, Pep Guardiola calling out Calvin Phillips weight has been celebrated. So why can't Vera Pau talk about the weight of her players? He says, these are delicate matters too complicated to be summed up by a simple I believe the players or I stand with Vera hashtag. Mm, um, he, uh, I,
2: I mean, he's always very good on looking at both sides of the story, which I think is what makes him a good journalist, Tim Sweeney. Um, and he makes that point, you know, people are much more sensitive about bullying. That's a good thing. But they're dangerous for those who haven't noticed that the lights have changed. The cop onto yourselves, whingy American snowflakes response, which surfaced in some quarters here. And that's true. There was a lot of that on social media
1: in defense of power, in
2: defense yeah. of power when that happened. Um, he says that regurgitated a trope popular on the political right. Nevertheless, the current so- societal prevalence of a certain emotional hypersensitivity can't be denied either. You
1: know, so there's every chance that the players have a point and power has a point here.
2: Absolutely. And the one thing I would say about this, and I, I've spoken to her uh, not in any great detail, but I, w- I was interviewing her before Christmas. I had time to sit down with her and I asked her about about this and particularly uh, about Wait, because the Tyler Toland case, remember, she, she was, you know, critical of Tyler Toland, one of the Irish players who who she didn't pick. And Tyler Toland's father, you know, said that this was one of the areas that she was too hard on her. But her obsession is with injuries and cruciate ligament injuries in women, which are scourging the women's game, which are scourging the women's play. She's she's writing a book about it, actually. Yep. She's very much into the sports science of it. Not everybody would agree with her views on it, but. It's her worry about weight, uh, too much weight, gaining too much weight from strength training and things. Yeah, is that because that she thinks it overloads yeah. and it creates as things. So I think that's important just to say in the mm. context of this, it isn't. I don't think that she was ever saying to, to players, you're, "You're too, you're too fat" or "You're too whatever." It, she was saying, "We've got to manage your injuries. We've got to manage your physique because of injury worries, and particularly ACL." So I think people sometimes don't understand that. But he's right. If if it wasn't very powerful we might all be saying, oh, absolutely right, you know. So it's context is everything, as I always say.
0: Social media demands simplistic hashtag solutions to every debate. Mm. You're on one side or you're on the other. You're entrenched and you don't, whatever you do, you don't consider the other side of the story, um, which is a fairly pathetic way to live and it pushes everyone to polar extreme. People become more entrenched and refuse to listen and... As he said in this, such phenomena, he was talking about stuff that's happened down the the ages in American um, political history are are usually rooted in genuine concerns, but they can spiral into a frenzy which eventually makes little distinction between the guilty and the innocent. Um, I suspect this is not a black and white issue. That that gray area which so many people, like a flyover American state, refuse to land and consider is where the truth of the story lies. Mm. And it can depend on the player's personality. Entirely. uh, Primarily, I would think.
1: So that's Eamon Sweeney on the back page of the Sunday Independent. It will be interesting to see what uh, reception Virpu receives in the states. And it kind of comes, b-
2: and it does come back to this thing like of, of the happiness index as well, mm. you know. And even I think um, Bernard Jackman is also talking about togetherness and teams and how do you build it. And, and, and the death of Tom Cheney this week He's just picking it in that context. Um, and you know, you go back and you think about the Irish women's hockey team in two thousand and eight. Nobody thought this mm. this team could do anything. But the one thing that everybody remembers. Was they were incredibly happy together. Yeah. They came out for every game smiling. There was absolutely no pressure on them and they reveled in that happiness together. And there, there is, it's difficult to do with the team, with so many people and so many personalities. You know, it is is—it is very difficult. I, I remember
0: yeah. you talk about um, Tom Tierney. I remember going down to Tonement for the first game after Anthony Foley died. Um, it was a European game against Glasgow. And what really struck me, I, I met Mick Galway, who it was a friend of mine beforehand and he was talking about this is a day to celebrate the tribe that we are and that coming together. And it's what you were saying about when a group form a bond, when they're compact, when they believe in each other on and off the pitch, they can achieve great things. Um, and I think Pow with the Irish women, just getting them to the World Cup has created that notion that they can do stuff that perhaps that belief wasn't there before. And they're empowered by that. Mm. On,
1: by the way, Bernard Jackman's piece, he's talking about a range of things, but just Mm. the last paragraph Mm. would jump out at you easily missed. He talks about the passing of Tom Tierney and the funeral in Tipperary. Tom Tierney, Irish international, uh, died suddenly at the age of 46 last week. And he says that Tom's wife, Mary, gave the most incredible eulogy I've ever heard. In it, she said to the young players that Tom was coaching in the Munster Academy who were also in attendance and the full Munster um, team were there as well. She said in the eulogy, I know that each of you will go on to do great things. And if I could ask you just one thing for my Tom, remember him with a little wink and a nod when you get there. And Bernard writes, she and Tom didn't have long to wait. One of Tom's players, Patrick Campbell, raised his arm to the sky and gave that wink for Tom after scoring a try for Munster against the Scarlets on Friday night at Musgrave Park. He will be the first of many. Tom Tierney may you rest in peace so it's a lovely
2: and he was head coach of the Irish Women's team for the Rugby World Cup in 2017 as
1: well yeah. Yeah. F- we reached out to some of those players and some of them were too upset to talk you know so mm. he, he had a mm. profound effect on lots of people uh, something totally different Kerry Tyrone is on today why is it 12.45 by the oh. <laughs>
0: is, is this to get people home
1: safely before it's
0: dark is that the logic I was I was at our colleague Conor McKeown's 40th Birthday oh, celebration last God. night. He's thirty-seven. I, no? <laughs>
2: he he actually
1: <laughs> he said to me. He right. said
0: to me as I was leaving very early. He said, "Make sure to name check me tomorrow." But <laughs> there was another individual who shall remain nameless who had to cover that Kerry Tyrone game this morning. Who was, um, was very disenchanted <laughs> <Lovely>. <laughs> about heading home at about half six from a fortieth birthday. Is the logic to get people home in the light? I, I think that's exactly what it is. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah.
2: And there was a lot of, and there's a lot of TV games on today, so as well. Well, I it, it,
0: it's it's actually way. a great armchair day in that yeah. Kerry Tyrone morphs into Mayo, Roscommon morphs yeah. into Man United, Liverpool yeah. morphs into the last round of the golf with, with Rory very much in contention.
1: There's something sad about us uh, sitting on the couch, eating all day, <laughs> watching. <sports. laughs>
2: Speak for I mean, yourself, Joe. Right,
1: that is my life. That's my life. Oh my God.
2: I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. Well, Casemiro point. does a lot of it as well. That's the only consolation, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but Tyrone, Tyrone Kerry, obviously, yeah. like if people don't know the history, you know, they, there is a. They like each a, other, right? They, they love each other, these two. And it's very, I mean, relatively. It's, very, it's relatively recent. Um, and, and I suppose the big question I still don't understand is how did Tyrone. How, why did so many Tyrone players quit after winning the All Ireland uh, two years ago? Ago. Any theory um, on that? I, 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 I'm, I'm absolutely amazed by it. I still can't get my head around. It. I have seen no, no clearer understanding of it, but. It's interesting to see, will this game today bring out a bit of, a bit of the old swagger in it? Um, Sean McGoldrick has a really good piece in Sunday World, gives all the results and all the history between them. But I mean, we know the the most recent stuff has been fascinating. But Mark O'Shea, who has a column in the Mail, is very good on it. And he's, he's, he's suggesting that David Clifford might just get to see what his football hell looks like today because he describes their previous meetings and that brilliant enmity that, that, that developed between them in Mickey Hart's time. Um, you know and was only conquered really when Jack uh, came back um, but this is the day which he says best of enemies need to end this shadow boxing but he, he has great insight into Brian McGuigan and Ricey McManaman shouting at him on the pitch and just he gets a sense of it like they really hate each other doing those Well years.
1: he seems to have been stuck with Ryan McManaman <laughs> oh. in <a> drugs test <laughs> That's, that's, that's right Go 05 yeah. final
2: <laughs> and the two of them are there and he's trying to produce a sample Yeah you he can, he
1: can hear the Tyrone <laughs> dressing room belting out Aaron Levine And he said, if I could just pee right now, I'd give you my Munster medal to to, to do it. But the unbelievable line towards the end of it, this should be the headline, the headline. So he's reflecting on the days and he says, he's talking about um, how this is the most open championship, by the way, in a generation. Dublin, Mayo, Galway, Armagh, Tyrone, Derry will believe they can win it. Uh, He says, that brings me back to the old days with Tyrone. Brian McGuigan roaring in my face. You'll never fucking beat us. (laughs) Imagine screaming that in someone's face.
2: But I love I love the way he gets in a little dig then at the end as well because about the fifth last paragraph it is. But then Tyrone back in the day when they were tormenting us never could do back to back. That was their in, in that decade. Was. Yeah. That yeah. was a
1: strange thing about that Tyrone team. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, three or five away.
2: Yeah. 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 Whereas Kerry Amazing. did back to
0: back in the middle of that. Uh,
2: and are now looking to so do they it were, again. They were
0: soft All-Irelands against me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the most, the most <laughs> I animated... I am
2: going to burst into the room any minute. I'm getting scared. <laughs> the most
0: animated I ever saw, Paul Galvin, was after that qualifier game in, in Killarney.
2: Killarney, the yeah. in
0: Killarney. And Kerry, who were sort of dismissive of people who have less than six All-Ireland medals, celebrated a mid-season game like they'd, like they'd won the 10 in a row. Yeah. And you really got to understand depth of feeling. There's a lot of stuff today about Liverpool and Manchester United Mm. measuring each other by the extent of the other's misery. Um, And there was a little bit of that that went on. And that famous picture of of Darrow Shea surrounded as he landed by the Kerryman was sort of an iconic picture of of how that relationship was. The guys who regarded themselves as the natural football aristocrats being suffocated by this new demonic force as they saw them from, from Ulster. Um, but I think today's game is actually far more important for Tyrone because yeah. they have actually just fallen the off the edge yeah. of a cliff. Yeah. Uh,
1: by the way, I, I don't know if Mark writes the column himself or if it's ghostwritten, but kudos to whoever writes it. And it's very good. If you, like, here's a sentence. That this is Marco Che because sometimes you read a column and you're like, well, that I, you don't. That's not, not the you. voice. So he's he's talking about Clifford here, and obviously there'll be the dark arts up in Oma. And he says, in fairness to the Fossett Club man, for all the times he's had his tail pulled he rarely snaps and certainly won't be bullied. Like having his tail pulled is <laughs> such an O'Shea kind of a... It is,
0: isn't
2: it? ...way yeah. of talking about yeah. it. So.
0: It is a thing about Clifford, he can look after himself as oh, well. Yes. And he have doesn't. Temper. Yeah, he has he, a temper he, he, and I like yeah. that about
2: him. It's such a big game and it's great to see that you know people are just kind of heightening this thing but it is interesting to see as you said, will there be a response from Tyrone yeah. today because um, if there isn't they're in, they're in serious trouble.
0: I'll tell you what's interesting about, about the league. A lot of people said this league... Would be low key that with <laughs> running into the championship yeah. that it was phony war. The crowds have been huge. Yeah. It just shows the hunger. I went with a couple of friends on a busman's down to the Dublin Court game um, two weeks ago. And the number of dubs that travelled for the thing, I was mm. absolutely astounded by it. But it just shows the appetite after that, that long break. And I think, d- yeah, there's a degree of let's strike. I, I really well do. Yeah.
2: yeah. I also think there's an element of Dublin being in Division Two and teams getting a chance to have a lack of them, crack at them as well. Absolutely. Like Jerry last night was phenomenal. May have are oh my off God. the charts though. Yeah, as, as, yeah, as they always are. Armagh yeah, have yeah, been getting been huge good. home Armagh crowds. Armagh getting great crowds. They, yeah.
0: the Cork, Cork Limerick hurling game. In Parky Quayve, I think there were 23 24,000 mm. I mean, just absurd numbers. For the this early videos, you know. Yeah, exactly. Waste time, really, Exactly. And honest. you'd
2: wonder, is it is it because there was such a gap as well? You know, the championship yeah. finished so early last yeah. year. There's a massive like the there in the split season winter now. You the, know?
0: The, the the club players are rightfully getting their time, but the reality is, it doesn't engage the masses. It's no. the people directly connected with it, and and it, it never will. I. Would it argue. never will, and I think. I think it's a real issue for the GAA when kids are looking at packed Premier League stadiums and they're looking at packed rugby stadia and then the big club game of the week is played at Turles and there's 1,200 people at it. Mm. Um, There is no perfect solution and I'm not suggesting suggesting that there is. It's a pity. It is a pity, yeah. And stars, when Jack McCaffrey came on in Cork two Mm. weeks ago, Mm -hmm. the buzz around the crowd. It was like suddenly a dull winter game turned into the Super Bowl this guy just electrified the place and so many of the GA stars are invisible off the pitch um, you can't demand of amateur players I fully get that but again it's back to your point about this sort of delighting in austerity and staying away from the public eye mm. um, and there's so many fascinating stories we're getting Casemiro's story today so many fascinating GA stories untold you know it's uh, again it's totally they're right you respect it
1: but we have a, an ongoing joke here when we try and reach out to a GA player for an interview, and uh, it's amazing—they all reply with, "I'm just keeping that at <laughs> the head down." So we say another head, keeping the head down merchant. Yeah. You know. And I
2: mean, Roy and I started working. We, we, we started an area where you'd ring a guy at work because we did, they didn't have mobile phones. Then you'd ring him at work and they'd take the call, <laughs> they'd take the call. they go, hold on a sec, they They'd tell whoever they were working to go on ahead. And then they chat to you. Then you got their mobile phone numbers. Then you got into that era where you could directly contact them. Now everything has to go through official, official channels. I, I
0: remember being on the, uh, the 1990 International Rules Series um, tour of Australia. And the access to players who you spent unbelievable time. There's, there's, there's one guy, and he, he won't mind me mentioning his name, Stephen O'Brien, the Cork footballer, right. who, who subsequently became one of my closest friends. I arranged to interview him of a day, and he said, come on up to the room. And an empty uh, mini bar later, <laughs> we hadn't turned on a recorder. <laughs> and there was just that trust, that access... But there was none of this culture of paranoia which seems to pervade now. Mm.
2: Which which is created, I think, by managers, you know, yeah. um, who are just paranoid. And as I always said, what are they going to tell anybody? You know, they're never going to reveal tactical stuff. Um and also. And the level of education, you know, in the GA is incre- you know, dealing mm. with incredibly smart people, yeah. men and women, and you say if you don't trust them, you said it earlier. Which that's the I always come back to that one as well. If you don't trust them to talk to a journalist, how are you trust them out in the field? And mm. if you trust them out in the field, then mm. you should trust them everywhere else. That's always my thing, you know. We it's had um,
1: that wonderful experience that happens in the media, where um, uh, some colleagues of mine were WhatsApping me in the morning, saying, "If you see using the, do you see using the Sunday Independent?" And I was like, "Who?" And they said, "The bloke we're doing a big interview with on Tuesday." <laughs> so these things happen. Uh, Justin Campbell is a former Galway hurler and uh, we urge you to speak to him next week. (laughs) But there's a two-page spread with him in the Sunday independent if you want to get there first. Yeah, Um, it's a lovely piece of...
2: Yeah, very interesting piece with with Dermot
1: Crowe. So he played for Galway if if you're a a hurling fan of the 90s. uh, Justin Campbell, Maverick, swashbuckling forward as Dermot Crowe. Describes him, 1993, off the bench in the All-Ireland Final against Kilkenny. uh, Played against that Wexford team in 96. He went to Chicago. He came back... Uh, at the age of 26 years of age, and he had his issues with uh, alcohol addiction and the genesis being as horrific the way he talks about it, the, the deaths of both his mother when he was 14 and uh, his father as well.
2: When he was eight.
1: Yeah. So you just can't imagine. And uh, when, he, when he was passing away, at uh, it was 14 when his mother was diagnosed with cancer. 17 when she or 17, he had, had counseling, but his mother put him into uh, Garbly College as a boarder and just begged them kind of to get him a good leave insert. So uh, a lot of unresolved grief there and, and struggle with addiction and overcame it, went back to the, the Rutland Centre and became a counsellor and now works uh, with people struggling with addiction. And uh, I, I suspect the line caught both of your eyes, but didn't surprise you either. He said the addiction substance of choice has shifted across the generations. Cocaine muscling in on old drinking ground and he said, it's very strange now to find somebody coming in the doors over just alcohol. It would be a crossover, maybe four or five pints. Then cocaine would kick in. So the alcohol would be a gateway. All the research for treatment centers shows cocaine is more commonly used. Is up by 33 percent amongst people seeking help. So we can presume it's up by a lot more of those not seeking help. Uh, clients are telling me you could have four or five people in any pub dealing it at any given time. What shocked me is the availability that in rural villages cocaine is pretty plentiful if you want it you can get it quickly
2: yeah i wonder uh, uh, one of the interesting things about justin is that he he's somebody who's been contributing to the ga on their health and Wellbe- well-being um, committee which is really important i think as well it's really important that you know the the experiences of people and the experience of people who are dealing with young people in a re- at a real in a real way not down at county training when they're all you know behaving perfectly um is really important that the GA hear that and that they know what's going on as well um, yeah just really good piece. I mean I had no idea that his own life had been so tragic like he came back from Chicago and signed himself into the Rutland Centre at 26 you know that's how bad things were and again not enough treatment centres in this country I always it's, it's an old book bear of mine but like it's the most commonly used drug for still is alcohol and there's you know the public treatment centres are just a scandalous lack of help for people with it. Um, but he went back. He did counselling. He never got to college. Well, um, he, he and he laughs because he ended up doing a postgrad in Trinity, and he said he could never imagined it. But there is there's a few lovely light lines in it as well. And he, he says when we're talking about how you treat players and and kids, his mother locked him in the room once, and he's laughing and him saying to himself. Um, you know, it was her only way to get me in there to do some homework. And when she went up, the 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 curtains were blown, and the door, the window. He jumped. He jumped from the top story down, and he was gone to her. Yeah. yeah. And he Seems said, she, "That's all he was interested in." Then was her. seemed
1: she came upstairs because she was feeling sorry for him.
2: Yeah.
0: So <laughs> I better let him out. <laughs> I both both my parents lived until I was into my 40s. And my mother until I was into my 50s, and they were certainly the people who shaped who I became and people who sort of bled love and sacrificed so that you could achieve what they never had a chance of achieving. And I often thought, have they not been there? Had you lost them at an early age? Mm. The type of person you might have become, um, the, the depth of loneliness, the absence of that natural love that a parent chose for a child, not to have that through your formative years the hollowness that must leave in a person's soul. And he he speaks here, he says, as as a human being, I suppose you will avoid pain as much as you can. That is the normal thing to do. And he goes on to say, this is going to happen to all of us at some level. And we don't have a conversation too often about our own death or when it's going to happen or not. I know it's deep stuff and it's existential stuff, but you can see how people retreat from pain and you will retreat to anything that sort of disguises your true feelings. I suppose well, a, uh, there's a payoff in every behavior. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And as he said, grief is universal. Mm. It's going to come to us all at some stage in our lives. And and, it, you know, the, the availability of people to help deal with it and to deal with other. And then on the other side, to deal with addictions. And, and we know cocaine is becoming a scourge as well. But it's a, a very good piece. by. I feel uh,
1: free out of touch with the cocaine thing. I yeah, mean, it's not to say it wasn't going on. So I'm 37 now. I mean, Celtic Tiger the way it is in my memory is apparently it was everywhere and champagne glasses clinking. Mm. That wasn't my experience as a broke student, I have to say. Um, But I definitely feel of a generation, certainly my 20, 30 lads that you're routinely ish friendly with in, in that period of your life. I very much feel it was like alcohol and too much alcohol, but I don't remember a big when are we in to do our cocaine uh, atmosphere?
0: I'm um, I'm 54. It would hardly be a breach of the Official Secrets Act to say I spend quite a bit of time in pubs. I just love old Dublin city centre pubs. Um, and this stuff about, you know, four or five people selling it, maybe they have just don't see me as the target audience because I've never, ever, ever being approached in a pub, or as you say, You're not I, 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 I understand that, <laughs> but I, I but at a younger age, I was also in the pubs through that Celtic Tiger era. Guys I played football with, guys I played gar with, guys I played basketball with, we'd go out collectively. And I actually have only seen cocaine once in my life. Um, I've never seen it actually,
2: me neither. Never, I do, person, I think I. It. I I think that it is more prominent in in sporting circles because of uh, it doesn't put on weight. Yeah. And I think that 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 is a factor. Okay. I think there's an yeah, increasing where, obsession where it, with image. You know, it, in, yeah. in my years, so lads of yeah. girls drank beer and you know what I mean? But people are actually so body conscious now yeah. and so health conscious that cocaine is seen as as uh, as an upper that you're not going to have any major um, counter effects from and also the price of it and the street value of it and yeah. the amount of it flooding into this country. seriously. So was um,
1: towards the tail end of COVID outside for dinner on a street not far from here, city centre and um, There were four of us having dinner and uh, like 15 yards in the middle of the street to our left was somebody just took out a little metallic. You know, it was like obviously a holder and just sniffed it in the street, but like the middle of the street kind of facing everybody. And it was uh, Well, I have a a friend
2: who who was on her way to a Champions League match um, and people, she said, were sniffing it off the uh, in the plane before they left Dublin Airport.
1: Yeah. Well, do you remember? Trafalgar Square. The, oh yeah, they, yeah, they, the, yeah, yeah. Every exactly. time Sky Sports News tried to yeah. just do a, like they were like, oh, there's someone else doing white substance. Let's quickly get the hell away from yeah. that. Yeah. So,
0: but um, we've lived sheltered and protected. I think. Well, yeah. So well,
2: yeah, just a different area as well. But but good to hear from somebody who was working at the coalface, um, and he said he he he. You know, he, he has GA players, obviously, as because he has a private um, yeah. business now, but not just GA players, it's people from all walks of life and other sports as well. But I think it is important that somebody like him as well has given great input into the GA's health and Wellbeing committee, that they are looking at stuff like this and that they're in touch with Absolutely. what is what is real.
1: Cleaning, we might just finish up with your piece, page seven of the Sunday Independent. Women's League of Ireland is up and running once again.
2: Yeah, there's a great there's a great picture actually in uh, the Sunday World today of um, yeah. and is it is it uh, who was it um, scoring the winner for Shamrock Rovers yesterday? He used to play for Piemont. he will help me out in a minute now, but um, I just it struck me that um, yeah. Onyo Garman yeah. scoring for 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 a new club, um, great great action picture and great um, good reporting. It just struck me, um, and I had heard that. The very first Women's League of Ireland was in 1973, the very first league. Right. And um, and some of those players and other players that played in Limerick, which was a real hotbed for women's football at the time, got together recently to celebrate their win for uh, 50 years. And so I talked to some of them, but more importantly, I talked to the man who had... Who, who was there to who helped them all get there and Frank Junior Keane is a famous character in. and in, in, uh, he's 83 now and most of them are in their 60s and they got together for a brilliant reunion recently and um, and it's just was I just wanted to try and market yeah. because we see I like when I was driving in today there was a big billboard with the Women's League of Ireland on it because it kicked off this weekend and I just thought um, 50 years ago it's it's it would be hard for them to believe what happened then and it's hard for them now to see what's happening now
1: it's, hasn't it been the most remarkable 4 or 5 years
2: yeah I mean the FAI deserve great credit I think the Sky sponsorship has been a factor as well but there has been a huge ramp up in the publicity and the marketing of the women's local game and of course I think with the understanding as well that this is the league that produced so many of these players that are now going to be playing in the World Cup so that's a factor but there were brilliant stories here um, just brilliant stories he he, he, um, he still... It's just such a gorgeous man. I interviewed him. Frank Junior Keen is his name. He was the coach. He was the guy. He he used to coach kids team in Balinanti and the girls used to wander over. A few girls would wander over and play and he just said, Mm. come on in, play. And then he had this Balinanti girls team who nobody could beat. Um, And then they evolved eventually. The the women's, the factory leagues, women started playing in factory leagues back in the 70s. And this was the very start. League of Ireland... Uh, the, the WFAI was actually founded in, in 1973, so it was the very first League of Ireland Women's League. World. still going strong. He was at this reunion, but brilliant stories like they the gear used to swamp them. Somebody, somebody's mo- uh, mother brought back a set of gear from um, American football. They wore them as dress. They were like dresses on them. And then somebody else's mother went and made them a set of gear customized, and they were pink. And he, there's a great light. He said to me, he, you know. Teams would see them coming out in pink and that will run rings around them. And they beat everybody wearing pink. And he just thought that was so funny. But they were sensational. They won the first League of Ireland, the second League of Ireland. They won the first Women's FAI Cup in 1975. So we just talked to them. Um, but his delight at what's happening now was fantastic as well. I bet it is. You yeah. know, it just he, he just he just said it's magic.
0: When, when you talk about that, that past five years, I'd never been, I, I've worked in sports journalism for 35 years. I'd never been to a women's football match. I'd never been to a women's rugby match. I think I'd maybe been at two women's GA games. You and I would have covered the basketball back yeah, in the day. Yeah. And they, they were sort of standard bearers. And that, that great yeah, Blarney women's team, there was a guy called Dommy Mullins yeah, who yeah. fits that narrative very much. But I wasn't sort of being consciously discriminatory. It just never occurred to me to go to these games and I got so engaged by the Dublin women's football team and then that rivalry with rivalries with Cork and then with Meath and you've come to see them as stuff that you're not not watching because you're sort of compelled to by some equality agenda but that's actually very good entertainment in its own right.
2: Yeah. And uh, uh, um, Jackie McCarthy O'Brien, who, who, who's an amazing woman in Limerick, she was the first coloured woman to play international soccer and rugby for Ireland. But she, she's been invited to this thing by Sky that's on on Wednesday for International Women's Day. And she said to me, do you know, Junior should have got my ticket. Mm. So, But he was brilliant and he was saying, I said to him, do you watch, do you watch much of women's football now? And 83 he says, I watch. He said, watch it. He said, so I'm watching... The Chelsea women, and the Arsenal women, and the Man City women on the TV. He said they come up all the time. And he just yeah. loved. He loved women football. He never, he never saw any difference between a, a young fella. He was big into schoolboy soccer down there with Wembley Rovers. Never saw any difference. But he he took them. Um, they went to one time into uh, it, it, there was a tour. The Charleville Cheese Festival had a uh, women's football tournament. The so, Charleville they, Cheese <laughs> so they so <laughs> they took them. I'm going.
1: When's the 70s you're, you're right when you say we've lived sheltered lives, <laughs> by the way.
2: So he took them across the border for a little cross. cross cross border raid what
1: was the cocaine scene
2: there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well well, they discovered when they got there that it was a Gaelic football tournament okay. so he just simply <laughs> said to them girls that's that's even easier pick it up and kick yeah. it up and they won that as well and he said to me he said uh, we've got no cheese he said, we've got a few trophies All right. but just a fantastic man and my angle on this is there's so much of There's so Irish women's soccer owes a lot to people, to men like him as well as Mm, well
1: Completely unheralded. And so much
2: women's sport owes so much to men. And sometimes they don't get a mention.
1: Yeah, it's funny, I was was walking through St Anne's the other day and the vast majority of all the organised sports teams were female, all under 12 and younger. Yeah, it's going to be such a quantum leap in standard participation. And I was was telling the person with me that uh, so when I played soccer, 90s, which is increasingly starting to sound like a long time ago. It, doesn't <laughs> feel, it really doesn't feel a long time ago. We would have considered ourselves very modern, you know. And there was a, a girl who played on our football team until we were under 11 or under 12. And then she was just told, Anna, oh, no, like, mm. that's done now. And it was just seen as so normal that, uh, like, you're just cast aside. Yeah. Don't know if she ever played football yeah. again. She was really good. And it was just like, oh, just well, didn't matter. No. And, like, yeah. it's like, and,
2: and, and as I said, this was a stage where where it wasn't even that girls were playing with boys up to a certain age. They weren't playing football because mm. they weren't seeing opportunities to play it. But in ballanty if you were a little girl and you saw the boys all, out in the green playing, and you went over, he said, come on and play yeah. it. And actually, Jackie O'Brien was was Jackie McCarthy was running. She was jogging around the field when she was 11. She played League of Ireland. Mm. When she was eleven, yeah, um, which is mad. But she was jogging around the field, and the ball came across her, and mm. she kicked it back. And he ran over, and he said, "You've got a great right foot. Yeah. Come on in and join well, us." Yeah. And that's that was his attitude. Well, Fantastic. I, w- I
1: remember the girl playing with us. It was almost like a kind of funny curiosity.
0: Mm. Even the adults
2: today like, were
1: like, "Oh, look at this. She yeah. plays
0: too." Kind yeah. of it, and and that was that. Probably. I, I'd, I'd never underestimate the Katie Taylor factor in in opening doors. I just think her success was in boxing, but. Obviously, she was a hugely accomplished football player as well, and I just think it made it trendy, it made it cool for a lot of young girls to follow.
2: Well, she was successful as yeah. well, and but, because but she was successful, she got exposure. Because she was successful, uh, I, mean, I mean, I mean, she, Brian O'Driscoll has said this before: for 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 men to get media coverage, they can be good, but women have to be brilliant yeah. to get media coverage. Ken, and there the, is that Ken, angle. Your
1: point though, I, I I accept Katie's great. I
0: just think society's changed because the counterpoint to Katie would be, well, we all marveled at Sonia. Sonia, I was actually thinking it as I was talking it. And it it, it was the perfect storm of a brilliant athlete coming along at the time that attitudes were completely being transformed. And just to have such an inspirational, such a successful athlete at that perfect moment. Just open doors that had previously been padlocked, really.
2: Yeah, and she w- and sh- and sh- but also she was in an equal opportunity sport, yeah. and she got equal coverage. I always say that there's never there was never a problem for women's coverage in individual sports if mm. you were good. Mm. Uh, team sport was the problem because women were always seen as an inferior product to the ma- male side of it, and that has changed. And that's why somebody like Katie McCabe now you can yeah. see yeah. the young kids they just you know it's with Denise Sullivan or Katie McCabe, and they see her playing, for, they see them playing, see her playing for Arsenal on TV, and now she is an absolute superstar. I didn't there. see.
0: Was it late, late on Friday? Was Amber Barrett? Amber
2: Barrett was on it. And actually, a, a friend yeah, of mine was yeah. talking
0: last night about it and said it was just mind blowing. She how good really she was. She was really
2: good. And uh, there were some interviews with her in the papers over the weekend. And some. And there's actually also the Sunday Business Post today has a has a uh, Emma, Emma has a Emma Ryan has a a good interview with uh, Amy Broadhurst as well and just mm. to see her like that on the front cover of, of a magazine do you know what I mean and she that's looks, looks that's cool. all part of she yeah, looks exactly. really cool yeah, yeah she it's looks, looks good important that's really important uh, yeah
1: we're out of time thank you both so much Cliona Foley broadcaster journalist Roy Curtis of The Sunday World pleasure guys we'll do it again soon thanks, cheers
2: thanks you
0: Off the ball he's very very dangerous player in Scottish football he's he's probably if can't be too good for Scottish football, if you know what I mean. Subscribe now to the OTB Football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app.